so so honored and so thankful that that Clark and Martha trust me to share three Sundays in a row. I was I told them I said I can really mess up the church in three Sundays. <laughs> but uh, really an honor, and I'm just so thankful for the opportunity. Last Sunday we started this uh, talking about the new creation. And um, I forgot to go through the, uh, the answers on the program. And I think since this Sunday, I thought we would do a part two on the new creation. There's so much that could be said about the new creation. Um, I thought we would do a more in depth on that today. So um, if we could get those answers up from last Sunday, I just want to go through that real briefly. It'll be a launching pad from what I want to share this morning. But I just thank God so much that he's opening our eyes to see these mysteries because, um, you know, Paul said, great is the mystery of our godliness. And it's true. It's a mystery that has to be revealed. Uh, You see in the Gospels how um, the people responded to Jesus and they would say, like, how can these things be? How can these things be? And there was a sense of awe in the book of Acts, like, what is happening here? This is not of man. This is not religion. This is something of heaven. And that sense of wonder is, is, is something we should never lose because it is. It's an awesome mystery how, um, you know, just I pray over and over again that the Lord would reveal to me more and more uh, the mystery of my own death in Christ. I was crucified with Christ. What a mystery that the old man is dead. Um, the mystery of resurrection, that I was raised with Christ. My own resurrection. Paul says in Romans, I'm to live my life as one who is alive from the dead. I'm, I'm, t- I'm not to die often over and over again. I'm to live as one who died once, even as Jesus died once. And I'm to offer myself a living sacrifice to Christ, living before God as one who is alive from the dead. I mean, judgment is over for us. And uh, we've already gone through death and into life. It's awesome. So this mystery is, is constantly unfolding in me so I can live by another within the life of Christ within. For, for I was crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in this body, I live by simple faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What a mystery. So, let me just say this. It, it, any, any talk about overcoming sin, um, I listen for what the apostles talked about. And sometimes you hear a lot of teaching out there on the radio and TV about how to overcome sin, how to overcome the flesh. But the apostles focused on this mystery. They focused on the reality of our own death and our own resurrection in Christ. That's what they focused on. And it's so otherworldly, it's so different from the natural man's way or religion's way of handling sin that it seems foolishness, it seems weak, it seems, but that's exactly the way it should be. It's a revelation of the Spirit, and Paul says God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the strong and the foolish things to confound the wise. He has made the wisdom of this world void and vanity and empty, Paul said. He has made the wisdom of this world empty How has he done that? How has he made the wisdom of religion empty and vain and void? Because he has taken away sin. 
And it's true, religion is in the business of sin management. If you take away sin, religion goes out of business. God is not into, like Clark says over and over again, God is not into just modifying our behavior and trying to get us cleaned up and trying to get us to change what we're doing. God could do that, like Clark has said many times, God could do that in a second. That's not what God is after. Now, he not only removed our sin from us, he also raised a new creation, a whole new game. I mean, it's like having two games. It's like having a chessboard and a checkerboard, and you're playing checkers, and then suddenly the game is switched to chess, and you're going like, funny looking checkers, but okay, king me. No, 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 you don't, this is a different game. There's a rook, there's a bishop, there's a whole different game here. That's what happened. God totally changed the game. We're not to search for sins in our flesh so that we can improve ourselves. We are to search for the reality of who we are now in Him. It's a whole different focus. The mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the Spirit is life and peace. He has created again. This is what's so awesome about the, the work of Christ. Not only did He remove our sin, but He raised us from the dead. God who raises the dead and calls into being that which does not exist or did not exist before, a new creation. So inside these bodies, we are completely new. Colossians says that we are complete in Him, that all the fullness of deity uh, was in bodily form in Christ. And now we are complete in Him. And it says, the very next line says, and He is the ruler over all rule and authority. So if any man tells you that you're not complete in Christ, you can say, well, Jesus trumps you, and He says, I'm complete in Him. <laughs> That's why He said that. He said, let no man take you captive by philosophy of men, or the way the world looks at things, or the elementary principles of this world. Let no man take you captive and put you under bondage, not seeing the reality of the new creation. And so now what we do is we encourage each other in the faith. We encourage each other to see who we are in Him. And if we've been made in His image, as the Scripture says, we've been created new in His image, then to find out what you really look like, we look at the one who made us in His image. You know, I love the way Paul said with the Ephesians, the Ephesians were when they got into the flesh and they were doing fleshly things. Paul didn't direct them back to their flesh to examine their flesh to see if they can improve their life. Nor did he tell them that you have an evil heart. You need to search what's, what's going on in your heart. That's another thing I want to really touch on this morning. The whole thing about the new heart. The new heart. The new creation. We used to have an evil heart. We used to be born. We were born in, in iniquity. God says in Genesis after the, the flood, He said, you know, men's, men's uh, hearts, the, the thoughts, uh, the intents of the thoughts of men's hearts are evil from their youth up. God, he, he actually, the Lord felt bad about destroying the earth. He goes, I'm never going to destroy the earth again like that. I'm never going to do that again because, he didn't say because men had, had improved. He said, because the thoughts, or the, he said the intents, the intents, the intents of the thoughts. The intents, the intents of the thoughts of men are evil from their youth up. He goes, I'm not going to do that again. He has given us a new heart. The prophet said it would come. The prophet said, I will wash you with pure water and I will put a new heart within you. 
That verse that says, I will take the stony heart out, the hard heart, stony heart, and give you a heart of flesh. That's flesh in the good sense. That means a living heart. I'll give you a living heart. And that's happened in Christ. We've been raised from the dead. Peter saw it in, in the book of Acts when, when he went to his Jewish brothers in the, that meeting in Jerusalem in Acts 15. And he was trying to convince his Jewish brothers that the Gentiles would have a part of this too, you know. And they, got the, they received the Spirit like us. And, and then Peter said this in Acts 15. He says, and God cleansed their hearts by faith. Hearts by faith. Peter says in his letter, he says, seeing you have purified your souls because you have believed the gospel. Our hearts, our souls. I want to talk a little bit about the soul too because um, if you look, do a search of the word soul in the scripture, there's, there's only a few times really the word soul is actually mentioned in the New Testament. And nowhere, saints, does it say that you, your battle and my battle is between the spirit and the soul. It's not there because we are one as an invisible reality of as a person, we are soul and spirit. Soul and spirit are distinguishable, but they are inseparable. They are distinguishable, spirit and soul, but they are inseparable. Paul, the apostles, never talked about a battle between spirit and soul. They talked about a battle between the inner man, soul and spirit, and the outer man, the body, and the power of sin that was in our members, the flesh. It was always a battle between spirit and flesh, spirit and flesh, spirit and flesh, spirit and flesh. Never between spirit and soul. If you adopt the thinking that your battle is between your spirit and your soul, then you become divided within yourself. And you're not divided within yourself. You're a new person. A new person. See, I don't buy this thing that's taught in many churches that we are, our spirit is saved, our soul is being saved, and our body will be saved. I don't think that's true. I think the truth is the spirit and soul have been saved, as James says, the receiving of this word is able to save your souls. Jesus said, he who comes to me shall find rest for his souls. So I believe that the inner man, spirit and soul is saved in Christ, a new person. I do believe the body will be saved and will be redeemed, although the work has already been accomplished. But we live in these bodies that cannot inherit heaven. Flesh and blood will not inherit heaven. And I do believe we'll put on a new body. And that's all that we wait for, the redemption of our body. It's already been done through Christ, for He has already, the prototype has already done that in His own body, but we await by faith the reality. And when He is revealed in the heavens as He comes, this mortality shall put on immortality, the shell shall be transformed in a second to match what is already inside. But saints, you already are perfect on the inside. It's awesome. And that's what sets me free. I mean, that's, that's the gospel. It's not complicated. We make it way too complicated. It's simple, but it's profound. That's why God has made the wisdom of this world void and vanity, because if you take away sin and you create a new creation, then the world and religion are playing a game that's not even the game anymore. And they're trying to fix people in the flesh, trying to perfect people in the flesh, as opposed to a revelation of a new creation. And now our focus is on Him. And the apostles said it over and over again, set your mind on things above not on things on the earth. Consider the members of your body as dead to sin. Don't even look at it. Don't try to find sin in your flesh for you will surely find it. As Paul says, no good thing dwells in my flesh. Layers upon layers. C.S. Lewis said, it's like an onion. You try to look for sin in your flesh, you'll find layer after layer after layer after layer. It's all there. It's in the flesh. It's of this creation. The mystery of spiritual circumcision is that God, and I don't know how he did this. We don't know how, but he revealed enough to Paul so we could grasp a little of it so we'd have faith 
faith. But what God did was he quarantined sin in the mortal body. He cut away the body of the flesh, Colossians says. A spiritual circumcision of which the Abrahamic circumcision was but a picture. We have been cut away. The inner man, soul and spirit, have been cut away from the outer man. And then Paul says the inner man is being renewed day by day by the spirit as the body decays outwardly and grows old. Paul says the inward man is, is alive because of righteousness, the righteousness of God, a gift of righteousness, while the outer man, the body, is dead because of sin and will die and cannot inherit the kingdom of God. So it's simple to me. It's so simple. It's simple. It's changed my life. I mean, we all still stumble in many ways. Like I said Sunday, we're not talking about sinless perfectionism. We're not talking about you get to a place where you live perfectly in these bodies and you never sin again, never stumble again. We're not talking about that. And we're not, and we're not uh, uh, well, we're, we're talking about a reality that will grow in us so that we bear 30-fold, some 60-fold, some 100-fold. We don't focus on what we're doing wrong. We all stumble in many ways as we're learning how to look to Him and live by Him. But this transformation, this transformation is not self-conscious. Moses beheld the glory of God and his face began to shine. And Paul takes that to the Corinthians and says, this is it. This is how it works. This is the dynamic. You focus on Christ. You focus on God. Your face will begin to shine, so to speak. The real you will begin to manifest as we behold Him who made us in His image. And you won't be aware because the Scripture says, Moses knew not that his face was shining. Moses knew not that his face was shining. I love that. Because you're not, I mean, you, you're aware of it. I mean, you're, you're aware of the sense that you're, wow, cool, God. I, I was, last year I would have that would have been a big problem. This year, that's not such a problem. That's, and that's cool. That's good. But what I'm saying is it's not a focus on you fixing yourself. It's a focus on Him. As Jesus said, the righteous, in the end day, He'll separate the sheep from the goats and He'll talk to the sheep and says, you came to prison and visited me and you gave, me when I was, gave to me when I was poor and when I was naked, you clothed me. And they said, when did we do those things? When did we do those things? They weren't self-conscious about their good works. They weren't focused on good works. They were focused on Him. We've been created in Him unto good works that we simply should just walk in. And we end up being just free and be, we be our, we're, we're able to be ourselves in Him. And like we said uh, Sunday, when someone, you know, brags on you in God, in the Lord, and says, you know, Paul says we should acknowledge the good thing that is in each one of us by Christ Jesus. Acknowledge it. Encourage our brother and sister and say, man, brother, I saw Jesus in you. I saw Jesus in you. Acknowledge the good thing that is in each of us by that is in there by Christ Jesus. And when they do that, don't say, oh, no, no, don't say, no, no. say praise God, you know, don't, don't, don't thank me, that's God, you know. No, just be, be yourself and say, oh, thanks, man, thanks, God's really helped me. You know, just, it's, it's just, a, it's, an, it's an easy, his yoke is easy, his burden is light. And, um, oh, man, it's just, it's just, it gets better and better. He has saved the best wine for last. It gets better and better. Legalism makes it, it gets worse and worse with legalism. It gets better and better with grace because contrary to religious thinking, I love, I love Clark's phrase. I'll probably see it 20 times in his book. Contrary to religious thinking, contrary to religious belief, um, religion says the longer you walk with God, the more you are aware of your unworthiness and God's holiness and the longer you walk with God, the more you see yourself more and more the depths of your depravity, 
to where you are, you know, eventually the real spiritual people, they see themselves as worms before God. And God is so awesome and holy and just unreachable. That's a lie. That is a lie. That's religion. That's the way religion thinks. The truth is this. The more we walk with God, the more we see how near He is. In fact, because of the blood of His Son, not because of our performance, but because of the obedience of one, Christ Jesus, we begin to see more and more just how near He is. We see beyond nearness, we see union. I in Him, He in me. And then we see newness, not the old man. The more we walk with Him, the more our eyes are open to who we really are, the truth. Like Clark says, the reality. We are sons and daughters of God. We've been born of Him. We are no longer from below, but from above. We are from heaven. You know the only people that are going to heaven? The only people that are going to heaven are the people that are from heaven. See, it's not a matter of performance. You're going home. You're just going home. You were born there. Our mother is New Jerusalem. You are from there. You will return there. They who are born of the Spirit are like the wind, Jesus says. The wind, no man knows where it comes or where it's going. So are you who are born of the Spirit. They don't know you're from there. The world doesn't recognize you, doesn't recognize me. I'm from there. I'm born from above. I am no longer from below. These are not just platitudes that Jesus threw out there. This is awesome truth. This is reality. I'm from, I'm going home. My mother is New Jerusalem. That's like saying mother mean where I was born. I'm, my hometown is New Jerusalem. We used to have hometowns on earth, all of us, different hometowns. But now we all have the same hometown. Isn't that cool? We're born, we're not, we're a holy nation, a royal priesthood. We have another hometown. And we're going back there. Now, what does this do when you hear things like this? Does this make you want to go out and sin all, you know, all over town? And does it make you want to just, no. It's a heavenly dynamic that works in us in ways that religion cannot understand. Natural man says this will not work. Jesus called Peter out of the boat to walk on water, and Peter says at first, he probably said to himself, this will not work, Jesus. I've actually heard people tell me, preaching the gospel of grace, people tell me, you know, they say, I've, you know, shared, try to share with them out of Galatians and, and about how we're free from the law, and I've had people say, well, that, that sounds good, but that won't work. I know Clark's heard it a thousand times. That, that won't work. Human nature is such, you've got to keep them under the law. You've got to keep them under fear. You've got to keep them under judgment. You've got to keep them accountable. You gotta... Well, God disagrees. <laughs> Blessed is a man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. It's true if you just take the law off of people that people will go nuts, the flesh. But that's not all he did. He didn't just remove us from the law and remove us, move our sin from us. He didn't just leave us in our state. He raised a new creation. And that's the key. 
And as we see who we are and we behold Him, we are transformed to that same image outwardly. See, I see the word transformation really as a, as a reference to outward manifestation. Because like Clark says, we are becoming or manifesting who we already are. So transformation really is a process of the mind being renewed so that the manifestation of who we already are gets out. And it's, it's such a rest because our focus is on Jesus himself. Um, I love that when, uh, I, I was about to say this, I forgot to, when Paul said to the Ephesians, they were getting off into the flesh and he said, he said, uh, this was his answer to that. He said, you Ephesians are getting into slander and wrath and malice and anger and all that. He goes, he goes you did not so learn Christ. You did not so learn Christ that way if you have heard him and have seen him for the truth or the reality is in Jesus. Isn't that awesome? I love that. I, I had a brother... Um, a, a, a friend years ago that was a, a neat brother in the Lord and really a good friend and he um, I, I, you know just the world was coming on him and stuff and, and just got lost in, in who he was and he was getting off into uh, just the worldliness of the flesh and, and before I knew this truth I would have probably said to him things like you better get right man because you know God's going to the hammer's going to fall on you if you don't get straight and all this stuff but I knew at that time what God was showing me about the grace of God and the finished work of Christ. So he would call me on the phone, we'd talk, and I would say stuff like, yeah, that's, well, you know, whatever he was talking about, he was into. And I said, um, this was a real born again believer. This was a believer. And I said, hey, take a look at this, man. This is so awesome. Look at this in Ephesians. And I would, I'd quote what was in Ephesians about how he, how he was perfect in Christ and holy in Christ. And blameless. He didn't get the hammer from me. He didn't get the judgment from me. He didn't get the fleshly approach. And he would listen. He called back, won't hear more. And I said, Look at this in Romans, man. You are joined to him. You're not in the flesh anymore. I, I know we walk after the flesh sometimes, but the scripture says if, if the Spirit of Christ dwells within you, you're not in the flesh anymore. You're in the Spirit. If Christ dwells within you, sometimes we walk after the flesh, but you're not in the flesh. You're not joined to the flesh. And he called back again for some more, and it was like a little, this little bubble started coming up. He said later, he, it was like this trickle of life began to come up. And, uh, and then after a while, he started calling me and saying, look at this in Corinthians, and, and uh, life. Um, John says, if you see a brother caught in a sin, John says, pray that God would give that brother life. That's different thinking. Not judgment, not death. Pray that God would minister life. And that's what this is all about. I mean, this, this, when, you, when we understand this, we know how to minister to our brother and sister. We know how, we know how to minister to ourselves. We know, how to, we know how to remember for ourselves the truth. Now we know how to minister to our brother and sister and help them see Christ. Help them see who they are in Christ. And yeah, there's a time to call a brother or sister to repentance. There's a time to call someone to change their mind about something. Absolutely. If someone is not convinced that what they're doing is fleshly and not Christ-like, yeah, they need repentance. They need to repent, change their mind that what they're doing is not, that's not Jesus. You need to change your mind about that, bro. Quit stealing from 7-Eleven. <laughs> Cindy goes, will you please pick a different example? You always say, stealing from 7-Eleven. 
I don't know, I just always say that. But that's true, you know, if, you, if you're doing something fleshly, you need to change your mind about that. But you know what, the truth is, most Christians know what the flesh is, what the, I mean, it's right there. Paul really just fleshed it all out. He goes, the works of the flesh are evident. And most believers want to do right. We don't have time to go into it, but Romans 7 is awesome about, Paul is describing a, a believer, I believe. I believe it's a believer because, number one, where it is in the Scriptures, in Romans, he's talking about, progressively talking about the revelation of who we are in Christ. And then he, Romans 7 and 8, he talks about this struggle with flesh and spirits. So I think because of where it is in Romans, I think it's talking about a believer. I also think it's talking about a believer because it mentions that in my inward man, I delight in the law of God. I delight in God's ways. I have no problem with it. Um, so I think he's talking about a believer. Also, he mentions, he says, when I sin, it is not I that sin, but sin in my flesh. Well, believer can't, an unbeliever can't say that. So that's a, another indication he's talking about himself as a believer in Romans 7. And so it's a great chapter to look at because what, he, what we see in Romans 7 is Paul saying that he, Paul is saying that, that as a new creation, he goes, I know what is right. And he's using the example of uh, the law that said, thou shalt not covet. In context, he's saying, I know I shouldn't covet, and I agree with it. I don't want to covet. I have it in my mind. Watch the description of a soul here in Romans 7. The mind, will, emotions, if you want to use that definition, I think it's more than that, but that's a good definition for the soul, mind, will, emotions. And here's Paul in Romans 7, and he says, my mind, I know, I have knowledge. I should not covet, and I agree with it. Secondly, I will to do good. I will not to covet. I will not to. And yet, I find myself coveting. And he says, I hate. There's the emotion. I hate what I do. I hate the sin. So there's a, there's a redeemed soul. There's a redeemed soul born again that says, I know what's right. I want to do what's right. I, have, I will to do it. I hate sin. I want to do it. And yet... I have found that when I desire to do good as a believer, evil is present with me. God showed me, Paul said, that there's another principle working in my members, in the body, not the soul, in my members. The power of sin that brings me into captivity every time. The power of sin will trump a mere knowledge of right and wrong, a mere willpower to do right, and a mere emotion to hate sin. There's some people out there that preach the gospel is just to hate sin. That's not the gospel. That's not the good news. That does not set you free. That's part of it, but that's not the gospel. It's more than just hating sin and fear God, hate sin. That's not it. They had, they had that in the Old Testament. Fear God, hate sin. That's, that, if that was it, Jesus didn't have to come. So here's a soul who wanted to do right, and then, in, and Paul even says, who shall deliver me from this body of death? The body, the power of sin in the body that wars against the new person within. Who shall deliver me from this body of death? So then Paul says in Romans 7, he says, therefore with my mind I serve the law of God, but with my flesh the law of sin and death. Now we've read that in the past, I've read that in the past, is that, is that, that's a good thing. That he's, saying, he's saying a good thing, you serve God in your mind, you serve the law of God. He the law of God in your mind. And, but he's not. That's not a good thing. That's the problem. He goes, he goes, I was serving the law of God in my mind. But it was not enough to just serve the law 
of God in my mind. Because there was another power working in my flesh, bringing me into, into captivity every time. So what is he saying? He's saying in Romans 8, think about this. In Romans 7, the very beginning, it says, we no longer serve God in the oldness of the letter, the law. We don't serve God in the oldness of the letter, but in the newness of the spirit. So just real quick, what is he, what he's saying, I believe, saints, in Romans 8? He explains this awesome revelation of the new creation. Because remember the law says, if you do these things, you shall live. Well, the work of Christ is, I give you life first. I condemn sin in the flesh through my son. There is therefore now no condemnation in Christ Jesus. As you and I work this out together and walk this out together, there is no condemnation because I condemn sin in the flesh by my son, which the law could not do, and it was weak through the flesh. God did and condemning sin in the flesh. And so now as we walk this out together, we're going to find that we start with life. We don't do in order to be. We don't do in order to have life. As the law says in Galatians, he who does these things shall live. No, we live now as sons and daughters of God. We are joined to him now. And that's what Romans 8 is all about. So the mindset on the flesh is someone trying to do in order to be, to try to learn the rules and keep them. But the mindset, and that always stimulates sin, Paul says in Romans, always, always stimulates sin because the law is not of faith. But the Spirit says you are already there. You're a son. You've received the Spirit of the Son, which cries out, Abba, Papa, Daddy. And so the mindset on the Spirit opens our minds to the new creation, and we begin to see our Daddy. We begin to see, and if children of God, then heirs of God. I mean, you are so there. It is a rest. And so this is what happens. The Spirit then doesn't, we don't serve the law of God. Paul says, I serve God in my spirit. You see the difference? Are we, try, are we trying to serve the law of God in order to be, or are we serving God in my spirit? Because now I am his son. In the newness of the spirit, I rest in the new reality and a dynamic that happens that we can't explain as we behold him, we begin the real you is manifested from faith to faith and glory to glory. I've got a, just a really a quick illustration I want to share with you. Um, a simple little illustration that, and we'll wrap it up. Um, three lamps. Through the years, it's helped people see the new creation. Um, Oh, can we do that? We didn't do that, did we? Let's do that real quick as, as uh, the lamps are being set up real quick, and then we'll wrap this up. Um, thank you so much. This is uh, last Sunday's, last Sunday's uh, answers to that. We can just real quickly look at this. Um, if you want to, just you can put them all up there at one time. First thing we talked about basically was that we were all born with a, um, a heart that was in iniquity and evil, but now the believer has a new heart. So the answer is, yes, we were born with an evil heart, but now we have a good heart. The second thing was spiritual circumcision. It's the cutting away of the body of the flesh so, that, so as to release the inner man to be joined to the Spirit of God. That's the true circumcision, when God, through the death of Christ, allowed us to be raised from the dead, 
the, the way God showed it to me one day was it was like a, a fire, a blue flame had cut away my inner man from my body. It was like a, a, a idea that he had actually, he has separated me from my sin as far as the east is from the west because I'm actually in a different dimension on the inside. I've been translated from the kingdom of this darkness into the kingdom of the beloved son in here, in the spirit. That's what that actually means. We've actually been moved. We actually are seated with him in heavenly places. It, the place he prepared in himself has actually been realized. And it's a revelation, but it's, it's wild. It's cool. It's like I live on earth, but yet I am not from earth because I I'm literally have been translated into his kingdom from within. The kingdom is within me, the scripture says. The kingdom of heaven is within. And then, and then the, uh, we talk about the power of sin is in our flesh, the outer man, and the power of the spirit is in our inner man, the new creation within, the believer in Christ has two natures, sinful nature and divine nature, true or false? The answer is false. We talked about that. We don't have two natures. We don't have uh, two fathers. Peter says we are made a partaker of the divine nature. The power of sin in the flesh is not the old man. The power of sin in the flesh is not our, our nature anymore. And that's the difference. The power of sin in the flesh is not our sinful nature because that's not our nature. And the power of sin in the flesh is not the old man. The old man has died because we, the person, has been separated from that body and we've been raised new in Him. Then, the secret to the Christian life. And the secret of the Christian life is simply to see His awesome work so that He can simply live His own life through us. Christ lives in me. I live by faith in Him who lives in me. Real quick, um, in your program today, number one, In the interest of time, I'm just going to give the answers, and if, if you'd like to look at these later um, and, and ponder these things, I think it'd be encouraging. Number one, see if I read my glasses so I can get the answers right. See, the body is dying outside. Um, the believer, okay, I'm not, I'm not going to read the whole thing, just, well, I, I can read it real quick. The, the believer in Jesus is gradually getting his or her heart cleansed and made new as they follow Christ and walk in the Spirit because the renewal of the heart is a process. The answer is false. What's a process is the renewal of the mind. The mind, the understanding, we're getting, we're catching up with what has already happened in the Spirit. But the heart is, there's no process with the heart. The only process is, is an act of creation that God did. We can't Fix our heart. Only God can. Can a leopard remove its spots? No. Number two, when the believer sins, he or she is out of fellowship with God until those sins are confessed and cleansed by God on a daily basis through faith in the blood of Christ. The answer is false. A, teach, a teaching that's widely taught in the body of Christ today. The reason why we're not out of fellowship with God is because our performance is not the basis for our fellowship with God. It's the blood of Christ. We stand in the work of Christ as our fellowship. So when you sin, how can you lose fellowship when your fellowship is there because of the blood of Christ? So we stand firmly in a fellowship with God. In fact, that's why the Lord says, run boldly to a throne of grace to find help and mercy in time of need. When we blow it, we run to God, not away from Him, because He's with us, in us, always, even until the end of the world. I will never, never leave you nor forsake you. Number three, a believer's heart is as holy as God Himself is holy. It's incredible, but it's true. He has made our heart as holy as His heart. 
by an act of creation. Good luck, to the, good luck to these people that are trying to perfect their heart. Good luck to these people that think the perfecting of the heart is a process and getting it as holy as God. That's why when you die and you leave this body, you go immediately to be in the presence of God. Absent from the body is present with the Lord. That's why Jude says that he's able to present you blameless before his presence with exceeding joy because you're perfect now. Isn't that awesome? So we live by faith in this reality, in these bodies, even though we are weak and we fall and we stumble, but we, know, we don't lose sight of the reality. And what happens is fruit begins to come forth and we see, oh my gosh, this is awesome. Number five, the key to, I'm sorry, number four, a believer's heart has indwelling sin in it. False. There is no indwelling sin in the heart. Indwelling sin is a, is a function of the flesh. It's in the flesh and it's not who we are. It's not who you are. Number five, the key to bearing much fruit for God is to allow the law to expose sin in the believer's life so that he or she might repent of those sins. No, the key, that's false. The key to bearing much fruit for God, as Peter said, if you see a brother who's not bearing fruit, Peter says he has forgotten that he was once purged from all his sins. He is blind or nearsighted. He has forgotten the revelation of Christ. Fruit bearing is a function of the revelation of the finished work of Christ, of the complete removal of your sin and the revelation of the new creation and of Christ himself who made us in his image. That's the key to bearing fruit. Grace must be balanced with law or else the believer will end up living a sinful lifestyle. No, what men call balance, God calls mixture. God says that's mixture. You're not under law but under grace. You don't take, an, uh, uh, you don't take a new shirt and hold, cut a hole in a new shirt to patch up a hole in an old shirt. You, it won't work and it won't patch up the old shirt and you just ruined a new shirt. Get rid of the old shirt. Get rid of the old covenant of law and put on the new covenant. Put on the, the shirt of righteousness, which is a gift from Christ. You who want to be under the law, do you not read the law, Paul says. Abraham had two wives. You know the whole thing. Sarah, Hagar, cast out the bondwoman and her son. Cast out the law in the flesh. No mixture. Number seven, the believer is to set his or her mind on Jesus himself and heavenly realities and not set his or her mind on the flesh or sin in the flesh. True. Awesome. God's dynamic. Okay, just real quick. These lamps. Oh, sorry. Sorry. These lamps represent three people. And... It's just a simple little illustration that might help show something of the new creation. These pillowcases represent the flesh, uh, mindsets, wrong thinking. Um, is it possible to dim these lights up here somewhere? If someone can just, thanks man. Um, when someone believes, and here's the good news, God creates them anew. So this is like a believer. Here's the good news of Jesus. And God forgives them of their sin, and they are born again. A new creation has taken place. This person, the white one here, you know, with... Paul, I mean, uh, Jesus called the, the Pharisees whited sepulchers because they tried to look good with, their, with all their good works and all, but they, they didn't have his life. They were not born of him. They refused the way of salvation. Like Cain brought his offer, offering to God 
from the fruits of his vegetables and his hard, sweaty labor, laboring in the ground, and his offering was not accepted. Abel brought up the blood of a lamb, a picture of another dying for him, and his offering was accepted. That is the beginning of religion in, the, in, the, in Genesis, the man coming by the sweat of his brow with the fruit of his labors, offering God something. God says, no, you can't bring enough. Only Abel, bringing, who brings the... No, he didn't backslide. Okay, then this is someone else who believes. Okay, now what happens, saints, and let's wrap it up right here real quick. What happens, I believe, saints, is that as we behold Christ and see Him, some people may say, these layers begin to come off in terms of our thinking, the renewal of the mind. We begin to manifest more of what's inside. Some people may say, this guy is more holy than this guy. Some people may even say, this white is pretty bright. Maybe he's holier. And then as we grow in our renewal, the mind is renewed, it gets brighter and brighter. The light, the point is the light within is not getting brighter and brighter. But man, from man's outward appearance, it looks like someone is getting holier and holier. But they're not. They're manifesting more and more of what's already inside. You see? Isn't that awesome? So what happens when they die and go to heaven, this person who didn't seem too bright in earth, you know, I love what Jesus said in the Revelation, the book of Revelation. He says, he says, you have little strength to one of the churches. He says, you have little strength, but you have not denied my name. He loves them just as much as the hundredfold person who's bearing fruit, who is walking in the power of the spirit in a way that this little church was not. He says, you have not denied my name. It's awesome. Okay, so they go to heaven. This is what happens. This guy that everybody thought was, yeah, he's probably backslidden. You know, he's like, he's not, make, he's not producing much fruit. This guy stands before God. And then he sees how God has seen him all along. The whole time. That's how God saw him the whole time. The whole time. And this guy who men said was holier than him in, on earth, this guy stands before God. And he's exactly the same. Exactly. They're both 100 watt bulbs. This guy didn't manifest as much as this guy, but the moment they were born again, they were complete and perfect and nothing could be improved upon what was inside. This guy thought he was righteous in himself. And some men thought he was pretty bright. You know, he shined a little bit, did a lot of good deeds, good works, gave to the poor. He who has the Son has the life. He who has not the Son has not the life. All our righteousness is as filthy rags before God. Isn't that awesome? Lord, we just thank you that you're helping us see these mysteries. Father, I thank you that we can see these things. You say, fear not, little flock. It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Lord, thank you so much. Help us see the mystery of our own death and our own resurrection. Help us see your goodness.
For you do love us as your own son. You do, you do love all people as your own son. And it doesn't matter whether you're Jewish or Gentile or circumcised or uncircumcised, but what matters is a new creation. Mercy and peace. Mercy and peace be on those who live by this rule upon the real Israel.